All right. Well, it's good to be back with you again tonight. How many of you, just out of curiosity, this is your first time in our Wednesday evening Bible study? I know we got some of these guys here. Yeah, you can raise your hand. Yeah, that's right. These guys were in Kitricity helping out, and, uh, and now they're back in with us, and we have, some, we have a couple more. So let me just explain a little bit what we do here on Wednesday night. It's much different than what we normally do on a Sunday. Uh, this is an inductive Bible study. This is Bible journaling. And so each night we look at a psalm, um, and we go through it, and we observe, and we, and we interpret it together. We underline, highlight, circle, and seek to draw out the meaning and the application for us. And the goal of this is to help us all understand and see um, how living the Word of God is, how applicable and relevant it is, uh, so that we can, um, we can ch- allow our lives to be changed by it. And so it's also very interactive, and uh, I'll be asking questions. You're also welcome to interrupt me. If I'm, if I'm waxing eloquent and just preaching a mini-sermon and you want to stop me and say something or ask a question, uh, you can raise your hand. If I don't notice you, you can just scream at me and ask your question, all right? Tony, that was not a serious suggestion. Huh? <laughs> all right. Uh, we're in Psalm 62 tonight. Psalm 62, and uh, our normal... Um, way of doing things is to pray, read the passage, and then open it up to see what you noticed. It could be a repeated idea, it could be a repeated word, it could be a particular vo- a verse that you really appreciated, um, even a question, I didn't understand this. Anything goes in this opening portion here. So I will pray, and then we'll read Psalm 62 together and see what God has for us in His Word, and, uh, and then we'll open it up to see what you found or what you thought. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for bringing us here tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to look in your word, and I pray you guide our discussion, uh, guide our study, that we would draw from the text to the meaning of the text instead of infusing our own meaning into it. And I pray that uh, we would um, seek to apply uh, these truths to our lives so that our lives can become more like Jesus Christ. We love you in your son's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 62. Psalm of David. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall and a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that you, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work." 
as we were reading through, what did you notice? Anything you'd like to provide? Mike? He didn't ask for anything. He did not. He did not. That's, a, that's an interesting observation. Um, so this would not be a psalm of petition, would it? Right. If you were to describe this psalm, what label would you put on it? What would, what? Okay, all right. A song of praise, right? Or, or trust or something like that, right? And he's declaring, he's saying this is, this is what is true. Good. What else did you notice, Rebecca? Did anyone else catch that? All right, so verses 1 and 2, we see repeated in verses 5 and 6. There's some slight differences which are really interesting to observe. We'll get there when we get there, all right? So no spoilers. Um, what else? David. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely see that theme for sure. Um, all throughout Fortress in 2, uh, Fortress in 6. Uh, we see he's our refuge in verse 7, our mighty rock in verse 7. Um, so the sense of, oh, there again in verse 8, he's our refuge to us. Um, so definitely describing God as one of, a God of security, strength, protection. What else? Mike again, yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So there is, the, 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 he kind of turns verse 3 and 4 to kind of question how the wicked are acting and how they're responding. And you see this duplicity there, this, this hypocrisy in them. And uh, it's actually a really interesting contrast to just see how they describe humanity and the wicked versus how he describes God. There's a very strong contrast there. Anything else? Paul? In verse 5, he's reminding himself to... Trusting God. Yes, yeah, it's, it's directed toward him. For God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence. Good. Lori? Yes, so verse 8, he turns to the people, he turns to the readers, he turns to us, you can say, and says, all right, now you need to trust him. And he starts teaching. Good. Anything else? All right. Well, this is, this is an incredible psalm um, communicating a singular and focused and confident trust in God. And we see that described probably most clearly in the opening phrase, for God alone my soul waits in silence. And we, if you were kind of asked the big questions, who, why, what, when, where, and how, they're almost all answered in, these, in this first verse, right? Uh, who? God. What am I doing? Waiting. How? In silence. Why? From him comes my salvation. Um, and then we see, for God alone. So my soul waits, waits in silence, for God, and for God alone. Now, if you were to take one portion of that first line and say, this one's the toughest, which one would it be? Would it be the waiting? Would it be the waiting in silence? Would it be waiting for God? Or would it be waiting for God alone? 
waiting in silence. Yeah, okay, so yeah, I'll wait, but man, that's not the most silent waiting. <laughs> okay, that's a tough one. Waiting for God, but waiting anxiously or waiting fearfully. What else would be difficult in this passage, in this phrase? Yeah, hedge our bets a little bit, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll trust in God uh, for 90%, um, but I've got this, my favorite little thing over here that can make up the final 10, and uh, I need that. I can trust in God for most everything, but I really need this. Trusting and waiting in God alone is really, really hard. Um, in fact, here's an interesting thing about this phrase. In the Hebrew, the, 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 the verb wait isn't there. It's provided to help, underst- help us understand what it means. It really says, um, you could say, for God alone, my soul is silence. Some English versions say, my soul rests or waits in silence. King James says, truly my soul waits upon God. Nasby says, my soul waits in silence for God only. Uh, CSB says, I am at rest. And so what's being described here is the type of waiting we mentioned earlier. We can wait, we can trust in God, but waiting silently for God, that's, that's a whole different thing. This is not a nervous waiting. This is not an anxious waiting. This is a restful waiting. This is a complete, just, just kind of like taking a deep breath, exhaling, and focusing on God alone. And when we see in the following verses what he's up against and what's going on in his life at this moment makes this statement all the more shocking or all the more difficult to to apply to our own lives. For God alone my soul waits in silence. And how can he do this? How can he get to this point where his soul is completely and solely focused on God in silence? Very good. So, Ron just linked the second phrase to the first, and he'd be correct in that. For God alone my soul waits in silence, from him comes my salvation. So I know something about God, and I know that from God alone is my salvation, and if I'm confident that God is the only source of salvation for me, then who else will I wait for? If I'm confident that salvation comes in nothing or no one else, why would I, why would I divert or, or, or split up my allegiances? Why would I wait for something else? Because I know who God is, I wait in silence for Him. Verse 2 piles on the descriptions of who God is, reinforcing that confidence. And we see, and you're going to see, let me, let me highlight this real quick before we um, go on to verse 2. You're going to see a word show up multiple times in the psalm. And it's alone or only. And, and alone and only in the English is coming from the same Hebrew word. Okay? So we see it in verse 1. We see it in verse 2. He alone is my rock. We see it later on in verse 4, uh, talking about the, 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 the enemies. They only, or alone, they only plan to thrust him down. Verse 5, God alone Verse 6, he only, same Hebrew word. Verse 9, this is a sneaky one, but those of low estate are but a breath. The Hebrew says only a breath. 
So he uses the same Greek word to describe his singular focus on God, um, that God alone possesses these attributes, and even uses this word to describe the singular focus of his enemies. So back to verse 2, alone is repeated, God alone, nothing else, no one else. In what other word do we see repeated multiple times in verse 2? My. My. In other words, make sure your theology is personal. It's not God is a rock, God is salvation, God is a fortress. It's my rock. He's my salvation. He is my fortress. This is a singular focus, a confident, complete expectation that God alone can provide these things. And what can He provide? He is my rock. We can say this is a source of strength. He is my salvation, so He's my source of deliverance. He is my fortress, so He's my source of security. Or safety, either one, right? And because of who God is, what conclusion does He come to? I shall not be greatly shaken. He knows that difficult times will come, but he's able to wait in silence when those time comes. He knows his security is in God alone. And once again, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. We see how our theology calms our fears. Our theology strengthens our faith. Our theology builds our confidence. Don't let anyone ever tell you that theology is unimportant or boring or academic. Theology is the very foundation of your peace. What you know about God, we said, A.W. Tozer says, what you know about God or what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And we can tell that David, and he thinks about God, has a very clear picture of who God is, and it brings him to a very peaceful, expectant, trusting place. Verse 3, we see a contrast and starts describing an attack, an attack from others toward a man, and I think he's probably referring to himself here. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall on a tottering fence? Attack, that word for attack there, in the first part of verse 3, we'll get to the leaning wall on a tottering fence next. I know it's on the flip side of the page, which is inconvenient. So I'll make sure to focus on this first half, and then we'll turn the page, go to the next one. How long will all of you attack? This, this, this verb here is, is, is meant to communicate continuous or persistent attacking, which is why he's asking, how long? How long is this going to last? Because it's, it's not letting up, right? David, I think, is, is perplexed at their persistence. How much longer are you going to be doing this? So part of me thinks, you know, given what, God, what he just said about God, do you think he's asking this question out of fear or out of, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? <laughs> right? I think it's the latter. Because he's confident in who God is, he sees the persistent attack of the enemy and, uh, and, and you know, like a, like a little, little kid, you know, kind of kicking the shins of their dad or, you know, just feeling like they're swinging their fists at, at something much stronger than them. You're looking at them like, what are you doing? What, what's your problem? What do you think you're trying to accomplish here? 
And that's not because of his own strength, as we'll see, but because of who God is. And so we ask the question, how long will you attack a man to batter him? This is, this is carrying the idea of destroy or kill. So their goal is to, is to kill, eliminate, destroy David. Now I want us to look at that, that phrase on the other side of the page, the last part of verse 3. How long will you seek to... Uh, how long will you seek to attack a man, to batter him, like a leaning wall in a tottering fence? Now, is that describing the attackers, or is it describing David? What do you think? It's talking, it's talking about David there. How does David describe himself? All right, like a leaning wall in a tottering fence. When we bought our house... Uh, here in Florida, we moved in, and the fence in the backyard had gotten blown sideways from hurricane winds at some point in the past, and uh, there was this part in the uh, in the fence where it was just bowed sideways. It looks like you know, like a giant elephant just came and kind of sat down on that portion of the fence, and uh, and so when I think of leaning wall or tottering fence, that's the that's the picture I have in my mind, right? Not the picture of security, not the picture of stability. Uh, it's a flimsy picture. It's a picture of just, you're just this close to completely collapsing. That's how David describes himself. That's how his enemies see him. All right, David's at his weakest. He is tottering. He is faltering. He is frail. Now's our chance. Now it's time to attack. This is a vivid picture of human weakness and vulnerability. And yet, David sees himself like this, and yet his soul waits in silence. Why is that? Because it's quite clear to David that his salvation comes only from God, not from him. He sees himself, he sees a leaning wall, a tottering fence. He looks at God, he sees a strong fortress, a rock. Isn't that an incredible contrast? Just look at these two, right? Here's God, my rock, my salvation. Yes? I think, I think part of it is because how he describes humanity generally near the end. That all humanity are but, is but a breath. And so, now he does say at the same time that he's in a high position, right? Yeah. Verse 4, they only plan to thrust him down, David down, from his high position. He's a king. So I, he does recognize he's in a place of power. He has a place of authority. But I think, I think he's also acknowledging that he is, he is weak apart from God, that he is frail apart from God. This is definitely how the enemies see him, but I, but I think that he is, at least in part, recognizing his own weakness um, apart from God. But the com- contrast to, to who God is, the rock, salvation, fortress, it's because of that he shall not be greatly shaken. That, that, that leaning wall, that tottering fence will not be shaken, will not be destroyed because of who God is. Really what verse 3 describes is a panic-inducing scenario, right? Feeling vulnerable and weak while experiencing a persistent onslaught of attacks from the enemy. Have you ever felt that way before? 
That's not a nice feeling, is it? No, it's not. How in the world can my soul rest? How in the world can it wait in silence? Again, because of who God is. Verse 4. They, the enemies that we just saw, only plan to thrust him down from his high position. Not only are the wicked attracted to weakness and sense weakness, but they are also attracted to power and trying to usurp that power for themselves. And so we see this further description of the enemies who want power and will delight in falsehood to get it. They're deceitful in their words, we see here. They take take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. So here's another dimension to the situation that David is facing. Not only a constant, persistent attack in a moment of vulnerability, but they're doing it with a smile on their face. And they're saying nice words, and they're saying nice things, and they're, they're trying to get him to, you know, try, trying to flatter and all that, but inwardly they're cursing, which makes the attacks all the more difficult, right? Any questions, comments so far? Yes, David. So go back to verse 3. Suppose when he says, all of you, including God, I don't think so, no. No, because um, how he describes the you, right? I think when he says you here, it's the they, right? So I think he is, he is speaking to his enemies here and describing them. Um, the fact that they're trying to ta- attack him and batter him in a moment of weakness isn't so much an attribute of God toward us as it is an attribute of sinful men. Uh, so I think this, the, the, the people he's talking to here is specifically the wicked who are seeking to, to attack him. Any other thoughts, questions before we move on? Lori. Yeah. It is a bit of a window into just the depravity of humanity generally. How how all mankind, both past, present, and future, respond not only to the godly but to God Himself. It's absolutely right. It has not changed one bit. You're absolutely right. Yes. Yeah. That's that's a, that's specifically something that has not changed at all, and something that we see in our own lives as well. Verse five. Here we see the repetition of verses 1 and 2. This is really interesting. Let's look back at verse 1 and 2. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. Verses 5 and 6. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. All right. Now we're going to compare and contrast these, okay? Like the, like the two pictures, all right? Spot the differences between these two pictures. And I put them next to each other for our convenience. All right? So here's verse 1 and 2. Here's verse 5 and 6. What differences can you spot between these two? Okay. So he's talking to his soul. So, ver- so here, you see that? For God alone, my soul waits in silence. The second one says, For God alone, O oh my soul, Wait in silence. 
So the first one, he's describing something about what his soul is doing. The second one, he's telling his soul what it should be doing. Ashley, did they steal it from you? Oh, all right. Well, there's two more, at least two more. What else? Other differences? Oh, interesting. Did you see that? I shall not be greatly shaken. And nothing there. I shall not be shaken. What, do you, what difference does that make? What does it seem to be communicating? What's that? It kind of seems that way, right? It's almost like the first time he's saying, I won't be greatly shaken. I'll be shaken a little bit. I'm a tottering fence. I'll be shaken a little bit. The second time he's like, I shall not be shaken. It's almost like a renewed and increased confidence. Any other differences that you see? Lori. That is a difference in the English, but not in the Hebrew. Yeah, again, it's tricky, right? But this is the same Hebrew word, only or alone, that shows up. But in the English, it is a difference, so we'll give you the point for it. All right? I actually wrote it down over here that it was the same word, so I can't. There we go. All right. Cindy. Yeah, there you go. There's another difference there. Now, do you think he's saying something different or maybe communicating the same thing differently? Maybe the tense is different. Okay. Possibly. Because the first part of it, he's in it now. Mm-hmm. And the second part of it, he's looking to the future, maybe? That's possible. I hadn't thought of it from that angle. but So, so from verse 1, he's saying... My soul is waiting in silence right now. From him comes my salvation. So this isn't necessarily a future expectation. Uh, but right now, I need salvation right now, and I know it's coming from God. The second one, he's saying, my soul wait in silence and hope, right? Look ahead. So that's, that's interesting. I think you also see a connection between the concept of salvation and hope as well. And, and again, since the, 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 the approach in the second one is more of talking to himself... He's telling him what, what his response to this reality is, right? If, 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 if God is my salvation, then what is my heart response? It's, it's hoping in that salvation. I have complete trust and expectation in that salvation. Really interesting, yeah. Sorry, before we move on, kind of going back to verse 1, is the thought there, you know, my soul awaits in silence, mm-hmm. when it comes to my salvation, is that the same concept as... Do you have the reference for that on the with you? Exodus 14, 13, 14. Exodus 14, 14, 13, 14. 14, 13 and 14. Write that one down. I think I'd be interested. I, I don't know this, but I'm interested to look and see if there's any similar Hebrew word in their stillness. Okay. Definitely the same idea. I, I, think, I think that's a really good cross-reference. Um, that when, when the nation of Israel is standing at the Red Sea and they're panicking because the armies of Egypt are behind them and the sea is in front of them, Moses says, stand still, wait in silence because from where comes your salvation? It comes from God. 
He is your rock. He is your refuge. So stop panicking. You're in a very, you're in a very rickety position right now. You know, it's like a rickety wall. But wait in silence because your hope comes from God. I think that's a great tie-in to that story. And perhaps even something that a Jewish reader reading this psalm would have thought in their own mind as they read it. Good. David? I was going to say about salvation and hope, that you really have no hope unless you're saved. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, those two themes are very intricately tied together. Um, And you can't have one without the other. And so when you take verse 5 and 6 and place it, where did my psalm go? There we go. I had to switch programs, by the way, last time with all the freezing. I had to, I had to ditch it. It, was, it wasn't a, 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 a PC problem. It was a program problem. So, just got to defend my PC. There. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, when you, when you consider its placement and the difference between 1 and 2 and 5 and 6... It seems like, so he's moving from a statement to an imperative. He's going from my salvation to my hope. He's going from, I shall not be greatly shaken, to I shall not be shaken. Perhaps meditating on the persistence and the deceitfulness of the enemy made him realize the need to remind himself, to preach to himself again and again what he knows to be true. And that that describes the the increase in confidence and also the change in, in voice. Linda. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. There's there's definitely a structure to this, and this is a song, and so um, these two verses one and two and five and six seem to be introducing a section or a verse in the song, perhaps. So um, whether that would be a chorus or however, I'll let Pastor Paul give me the technical term for that. Um, but it seems that after reflecting on the, the plotting of the enemy, he's renewing in his mind, he's preaching to himself, and we learn that's what meditation on Scripture is, right? You, you internalize it, you memorize it, and then you preach it to yourself. That's what he's doing here. That you, no matter how much confidence you have at the beginning of a trial does not mean that you won't need to remind yourself of those truths again and again and again and again and again. And so this renewed confidence prompts David to declare his faith in God. We see that in verse 7. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My, my, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Again, you see this repetition of my, 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 my. He's my salvation. He's my glory. He's my mighty rock. He's my refuge. And he noticed that salvation and glory, he's saying those two things, they all rest on God. And again, that word rest is actually supplied in the English. And so in Hebrew, it's saying, my salvation and my glory on God. And it's saying it's all sits, it rests, it depends on who God is. Any uh, thoughts, questions before we move ahead? Yes, Rebecca. God is my salvation. So, yeah, so, so that is, that would, I would think probably missing the preposition on in there 
Uh, but again, they're, they're supplying a verb because a verb isn't supplied in the Hebrew. And so for them, they, they supplied is. God is my salvation. Other English versions will supply depends or rests on my, because that verb is not supplied there. Yeah, so you might even see a, um, another example of increased confidence in who God is, my mighty rock. Verse 8, we see him turning for the first time to his readers and exhorts them and says, Trust him at all times, O people. And so as the readers ourselves, we need to see this as the application God wants us to draw from this passage. So God says, David says, God is this, and so I will respond in this way. I'll trust in him. This is what my enemies are doing. This is how I'm responding in light of that. I'm renewing in my own heart a renewed confidence in who God is. Therefore, all those truths, this is why you need to take home. This is what you need to apply it. Trust in him at all times. Trust carries the idea of confidence with no suspicion. Are you suspicious of God? Do you trust Him for certain things, but suspicious of how He might handle other things? So your trusting is kind of a uh, careful trust. Um, yeah. <laughs> trust but verify. Right. Good, good rule to live by, not so much when, it's, when you're talking about God, right? Trust in Him and again, here's another element that makes it really hard. It's one thing to say, trust in God. What's the phrase in here that makes it really hard? At all times. All the time. All the time. Your trust in God should be as constant as your trials, right? And beyond that, as constant as every breath you take, good times and bad. There is never a time when, you tr- when your trust in God is unnecessary. I love this next phrase. Pour out your heart before him. Pour out your heart before him. Another application for us. How do you think that these two phrases are connected? Trust him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. Is there a relationship here between these two phrases? Are these just two uh, parallel commands? Trust him and pour out your heart. Or is there a connection here? Linda. Um, but it could be uh, trusting him even though what you're going to pour out your heart to him mm-hmm. is pretty negative. Okay, it could be. Right, so you're saying the second phrase doesn't, does not negate the first. You can pour out your heart to him while trusting him. Okay, Cindy? Hmm, interesting. Is that what you're going to say too, Tony? Yeah, I was going to say, why would you pour out your heart to someone you're not going to trust? Very good. Yeah. Again, we said, what's trust? It's a complete confidence in with no suspicion. Are you going to pour your heart out to somebody that you have a little suspicion about? No, you're going to play it a little close to the vest. You're going to be very careful about what you share and what you don't share. You're going you're to hold some things back because you don't know what they're going to do with that information. Lori. Yes. To be a 
Yes. Yeah, so again, there's another strong connection. It, it, there has to be a relationship here. You don't pour out your, your heart to a stranger because you have no relationship. And you cannot have trust without having a relationship. Ashley. Yes. That's exactly right. This, is, this, this isn't a, hey, this might be a good idea. Try this. No, it's saying, no, you need to do this. Right? This is a command. Pour your heart out to him. You can say it's an invitation. Larry. I wonder, because David had a close relationship with King Saul. Mm-hmm. He was with him a lot. Mm-hmm. And Saul suffered with this concept greatly. Yes. And failed. So I wonder how much David observed and that, that pushed him closer to the Lord to really trust him during these times. Are you like highlighting the lack of trust that Saul had? Yes. Yeah, that suspicion that he had? Yeah, I'm sure that was very vivid in his mind. Uh, but it's really, you, you know what, what it's saying here? I, if we're going to, I think we made the connection, but one of the best evidences that you actually trust God is if you pour your heart out before him. So you can say, I trust God. Okay. Do you pour your heart out before him? And, and, and so I was asking myself that question this afternoon. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, I, I mean, I pray, right? Got my list. Do I pour out my heart before God? And, you know, every now and then, maybe. But I don't do it very much. What does that say? What does that reveal about my level of trust in God? I think it does say something. And it might also reveal where I'm putting trust in other things. Because part of the reason why I don't pour my heart out to God is because I don't feel like I need to pour my heart out to God. Why? Because I'm, yeah, I'm taking care of it. Or I've got this thing over here that is my security blanket. And I, and I feel safe. Right? And so I don't... Feel the need. It's not a concern. Yeah, it's not a concern. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Yeah, yeah. So why do we? Why don't we? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Did you have something? Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a vulnerable thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're giving. Yeah, I mean, I think of, you know, if we're going to think of a New Testament passage, right? First Peter, five, six, and seven, right? Six talks about um, humbling yourselves in the mighty hand of God, and then verse seven describes what does that look like? Casting all of your cares upon Him because He cares for you, right? It's a it's a evidence of trust. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Never let anyone down. That's exactly right. He is he has a good track record and you can you can count on that. Yes. I think sometimes well by the time we pour out to God it's because we've already we're at the end of our road. Mm. We've already exhausted our ability. Yeah. And now we're going to pour it out. <laughs> Instead of doing it before it comes to that. 
That's a great point. She's exactly right. She's, she said that oftentimes we pour out our heart to God as that last resort. I have tried everything. I have, I have cast myself upon every source of trust that I have and has come up empty. And now I'll pour my heart out to God. Why do we wait? We don't want to bother him. We don't want to bother him. <laughs> well, guess what? Guess what? He commands us to do it right here, right? So we don't have to worry about bothering him. Yeah. But um, like a week ago, um, someone, you know, someone that has God in their heart mm-hmm. and in their life, so, um, that person told me, so you're doing all of the right things, like to defend your home based on the Bible, mm-hmm. but what are you doing inside of your home, not around it? And mm-hmm. just like hearing this today, like I feel like God's talking to me, and this is what I have to do, like inside of my yeah, that's, that's, that's in a greater reminder for all of us as well, that what's going on in our hearts, what's going on in, on the inside, not just, not, not just on the outside. Um, pour out your heart before God. Are you trusting him to that extent, Ron? Um, you know, Curtis said, trust and then verify. Yeah. We already have the verification. That's good. God's work. Yeah, he has verified it for us. So, so that, he's done that part. It's there for us. So now we can trust. That's exactly right. Poor, yes. Yeah. yeah. One thing that comes to my mind is uh, there's always an advisor that wants to tell us what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. And, and we often maybe listen to the wrong person yeah. rather than take it to God. Yes, absolutely. And can God use the voices of other people to guide us in the right direction? Yes, he absolutely can. It's one of the tools he uses. But, but do we, but we run to everything else before ever coming before God and pouring our heart to God? And again, that last phrase here, if there's any doubt, am I bothering him? Should I be doing this? Right? He's a refuge for us. This is who he is. That's an invitation, right? Pour out your heart to God. Verse 9. While verse 8 talks about trusting in him at all times, I think verses 9 and 10 allude to some things, some wrong things that we try to trust in, and they, they aren't worth trusting in. Verse 9 describes human strength. Okay? Those of low estate are but a breath, and those of high estate are a delusion. This is contrasting, but also parallel in a way. Breath here is the, is the word that we see in Ecclesiastes a lot, translated vanity, emptiness. So, what's this contrast here? This is bottom of the totem pole, top of the totem pole. Lowest of the low, those who have made it to the top. What's the difference between these two descriptions? Breath and a delusion. Is there a distinction there? Breath is real. Okay. So there is a, there's a falsehood in the idea of, of delusion. So I, th- I think what, if we look later on, when the lows in low estate and high estate are put in on the scale, on the balances, who wins out? Which side 
Which side is heavier than the other? Probably the, the breast. No. So, so neither one has substance. Right. Yeah, because look, in the balances, they go up. Who's the they? Those of high estate and low estate. They're put in the balances. Here's those on high estate. They got the prestige. They got the power. They have the wealth. Over here are the poor, the, the lowliest of the low. They, they, they are both put on the scale. And what does it say? They are together lighter than breath. Okay? So he's saying there's, there's, there, it's all vanity. Yes? Yes. Um, that, that person really deep because what meanings don't matter mm-hmm. how much you think you know mm-hmm. or how much wisdom you think you have mm-hmm. or your social position. At the end of the day, you don't have the wisdom to know everything more than God because he knows everything. Mm-hmm. Even before we do something, you already know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we think he doesn't know, but he knows everything. Yeah. So we must recognize everybody at the end of the day yes. are the same. We're going to look foolish in the presence of the Lord if mm-hmm. we try to play like we know everything or I can't trust in another man yeah. thinking because he has a doctoral degree or something, he can solve my problem when Lord is mm-hmm. the one we have, we have to trust without a doubt. That's right. No question sense. That's exactly right. Trust or not. That's right. Because when we think much of ourselves, right? So we, we, we consider our own strength, our own, our own knowledge, our, our wisdom, right? And we make much of that or we trust in that. What are we? A delusion, okay? What's the difference between a breath and a delusion? A breath is honest about the fact that it's a breath. A delusion thinks it's more, but it's not. So that's the only difference between low estate and high estate, is self-perception, right? Low estate, maybe they think, yeah, you know what, I, I, I'm not much. I'm a breath. I'm vanity. Those of high estate have a big idea of themselves, big picture of themselves, but he's showing here, they're still a delu- it's a, that's a delusion. They are deluded. And when you put them in the scale, at the end of the day, there is no difference. They are both together lighter than a breath. So he even like minimizes it lower than this. Like this is pretty, this is vanity. He's saying like less than vanity, okay? Now again, how is this contrasted to who God is? Breath, delusion, vanity, right? God is our refuge, a rock, a fortress, our salvation. Why would we put our trust in mankind? Isaiah 40, verse 15, describes the nations this way. God says, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. And he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. So he takes all the nations, all the armies, all the kingdoms, all the powers, and accumulates them together, puts them on the scales. They're like dust on the scales. Don't put your trust in mankind. Verse 10 says, what else should we not put our trust in? Extortion, robbery, riches. Some versions say do not trust in oppression, which is alluding to what this extortion is. You may think, I've never trusted in oppression. I've never trusted in extortion. I hope not. Maybe you have. I set no, I'm not setting my hope on robbery. I'm not robbing any banks. 
What's this being described here? Is this even applicable for us today? The emphasis is on human beings taking advantage of others in order to gain personal security that comes from wealth. So they see wealth, they see riches as the source of security. If I can get that, I'm safe, and I will do whatever I can to get it. Extortion, oppression, robbery, whatever I can do to get there, I'll get there, because that's where my trust is. Yes, sir? But that means nothing. That means absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. I got this old car in the garage or whatever. It means nothing. Yeah. Because the only thing that matters is your, is your trust in the Lord. That's exactly right. Because if you get all those things, and it says right here, if riches increase, if you get all those, right? If riches increase, what are we called to do? Don't set your heart on them. Because it's nothing. It all depends. You put it on the scale, and it's lighter than breath. It's nothing. All that depends, all that matters, is your trust in God. If riches increase... Don't set your heart on them. Some people think as long as I get enough money, no matter how I get it, I will be secure. If I can just win the lottery. If I can just get enough financial security, I will finally be happy. I will be secure. Is that a good idea? No, it's not. Yes, sir. Do you think this was part of the attacks that David was experiencing in that might be why he mentions that? That's possible. Especially if we look at the structure, right? Um, Whereas before, he may be describing um, what they're doing. In this portion where he's exhorting us, the readers, he might be alluding to how the wicked were acting and warning us against that, right? So just as they were um, flattering with their lips and cursing in their heart, right? They're doing whatever they can to get ahead and trust in riches. They're trusting in their own strength, for sure. So I think, I think that would be a very accurate statement. This is probably um, connected to the attacks that he is facing. If riches increase, right? Let's say you, you make it big. Things go well for you. Great. Don't set your heart on them. Don't set your security in them. Why is that an unwise and foolish thing to do? Because they can go away just as fast as they can. That's exactly right. I think somewhere in the Bible it says they sprout wings and fly away. That's exactly what happens. Why else is this an unwise, foolish thing to do? Yes, Larry? It's a distraction. It's a distraction, absolutely. It gives us a false sense of security. Anything else? Lori? Because eternally, it means nothing. You can't take it with can't you. can't take it with you. That's exactly right. And, and the only thing that really counts as riches is our eternal salvation. Yeah, and I think of the, uh, the parable of the rich fool that Jesus told the guy with the bigger barns and to store all of his produce. And he said, soul, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And, uh, and his soul was required of him that night. And, and the point is, so, so is the heart of one who is not rich toward God. And that's what we need to be, rich toward God, not, not placing our confidence in the futility, the emptiness of wealth. And finally, verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. What's, what's going on here? What does that mean? Is it like measure twice, cut once? <laughs> it could be. Measure twice, cut once. I haven't learned that lesson yet. Yeah. <laughs> any, any, any shots of what is can be, trying to be conveyed with this wording? 
Once I've spoken, twice I have heard this. That power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. I think so. Yeah. These six things, seven things. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's it's probably that that parallelism that's repeating the idea. Run. It could be like maybe you've heard this, right? This has been said, and you've heard it again. <laughs> um, once God has spoken, twice I have heard it again. I think it's trying to layer on this this repetition uh, that that take note. This is what God wants you to know. This is what God has said. You've heard it. Take it to the bank. Count on it. What do we need to hear? What do we need to remember? Two things. Power belongs to God. And steadfast love belongs to God. God is all-powerful. And God is all-loving. Why are those two truths about God so important for you to be convinced of together? What happens if you lose one? Let's, let's play this out. All right? He's all-powerful, all-loving. Remove the all-powerful. Keep the all-loving. What kind of God do you have? Not powerful. Not powerful, yeah. Yeah, you absolutely do. Yeah. And, and so if you're if you, loving God, that's great. He's so, he's so nice. He's so loving. He can't do anything. But he's really nice. We don't need a God like that. No, he's not just. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, there's no righteousness. There's no justice, right? He needs to have power to do that. Let's reverse it. He's all-powerful, not all-loving. Scary. Scary. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. A tyranny. That's a great word for it. Absolutely, yeah. So we don't want a God like that either, do we? And now sometimes our view of God, although we don't admit that, falls under one of those categories, right? Whether that's God, you're mean. You're really strong, but you're mean. Or God, you're really nice, but you're not very strong. If you were, you'd take care of this. And so he's saying, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, take this to the bank. This is really important for you to know. God, all power belongs to God and to God belongs steadfast love. And again, I'm going to try it again. What's the Hebrew word for steadfast love? Chesed. There you go. I think I heard it. Chesed. Loyal love, steadfast love. This shows up a lot in the Old Testament if you haven't gathered that already. He's all-powerful, all-loving. That's what you need to remember. The last phrase, for you will render to a man according to his work. And here it gets a little sobering. All right, so again, we're reminded this is God we're talking about. And he will render to a man according to his work. Now, I don't think this is pointing toward any sense of work salvation or making sure you outweigh your, good de- your bad deeds with your good deeds. He is very just. He is, he is perfectly just, and he will do what is right in each situation toward each person, what is perfectly just. And in context of this psalm, we're presented with two ways of living. 
trusting God fully, alone, waiting in silence for him, or trusting in ourselves, trusting in wealth, cheating the system, trying to get what we want, just whatever, whatever way of life goes, puts our trust in other things. Those are two paths that we choose. Which one will you take? And realize God will render to a man according to his work, or you could say to his way. Which path, is it, which path are you going to take from this psalm? Will you trust God with everything, or will you seek to place your trust in other things? So Psalm 62 is a wonderful, reassuring, and sobering reminder of everything God is for us. He's our rock, our refuge, our, re- our salvation, and our glory. Next week is Psalm, one of my favorite psalms in the Bible, Psalm 73. Psalm 73. I encourage you. That's a longer psalm, which means there's portions of it that we're going to kind of skim over. And so I encourage you to read Psalm 73 a couple times this week in preparation for next Wednesday. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, God, that you are our rock, our refuge, our fortress. Lord, I pray that it would be our heart's testimony to pour out our souls to you, that we would trust you at all times, that we would see you for who you are, that we would not be placing our trust in lesser things like our own strength, the power of others, the the false security of wealth, whatever it is, Lord, whatever we're placing our faith and our trust in, I pray that we would see the emptiness of that and our souls would rest in quietness and silence for you alone. In your son's name we pray. Amen.